Sick Boy Podcast is a health and comedy show about what it's like to be sick. Wait, is that right? How can illness be funny? You'd be surprised. Okay. Sick Boy is hosted by me, Brian Stever. And me, Taylor McGilvery. And myself, Jeremy Saunders. Come on in and join us to melt your heart, learn something fascinating, and bust a belly laugh. Trust us, you'll be glad you did. You can find Sick Boy on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your pods. This is a CBC Podcast. So Wonka is about to open in theaters, and the movie has reopened an important conversation. Hollywood has had this history of casting average-sized actors to play little people. Today on the podcast, you'll hear why actors with dwarfism are frustrated with Hollywood and what it'll take to change the status quo. I'm Elamine Abdul-Mahmoud. This is Commotion. Okay, so you've probably seen the ads for Wonka. That movie opens tomorrow. It is the new prequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Timothy Chalamet plays Willy Wonka, and his co-star is Hugh Grant, who plays an Oompa Loompa. So you're the funny little man who's been following me. Funny little man. How dare you? I will have you know that I am a perfectly respectable size for an Oompa Loompa. An Oompa what now? Allow me to refresh your memory. Oh, I don't think I want to hear that. Too late. I've started dancing now. Once we've started, we can't stop. Yeesh. Well, I got to tell you, some people wish that the producers of this movie would have stopped before they offered Hugh Grant or any other average-sized actor the role and instead given a little person a shot. Hollywood has had this long and complicated history of casting average-sized actors in these roles, roles like this one, using special effects after the fact to shrink them. Meanwhile, little people often end up with stereotypical or demeaning roles. Danny Woodburn is an actor who was born with a former dwarfism. He's acted in dozens of movies and TV shows, including Seinfeld. You might remember him as Mickey. When I talked to Danny, I asked him what he thought about Hugh Grant being cast in, in Wonka because Hugh is actually 5'11". He's that tall? He's 5'11", yeah. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. I, I don't want to jump on the bandwagon of slamming Hugh Grant or slamming anybody, you know, with regard to this yeah. film. The argument always comes back that Acting is acting, and anybody should be allowed to play any role. However, we have to look at this in a much more open lens and, and look at the entire disability community. The disability community makes up 20 to 25% of the population, hmm. and yet on screen, we generally are present 2% of the time. And wow. so when you look at that disparity, you have to understand that there's a, there's a system in place that is exclusionary. And when we talk about going back to the 2016 uh, the Academy Awards, the um, the movement was Oscars So White, right? right? And so in the Oscars So White campaign, we talked about the idea of diversity. And for several years after, that idea of diversity was not only exclusionary of people with disability, but intentionally exclusionary. For example, the president of the Motion Picture Academy at the time, we said, hey, you're not including people with disability in this movement. And they said, well, if they happen to be a person of color or a woman, then they would be included by default. Hmm. But they weren't ever talking about people with disability. And I've talked to numerous organizations that were pushing this agenda, um, including tax incentives in our industry, right? So- <laughs> And when I say intentionally exclusionary, it was, yes, we don't want to talk about disability right now. We're just going to focus on this. Hmm. And so when we look at that, just 2016, I'm just talking a few years ago, um, 
you can't help but wonder why we're not getting these opportunities and then go, oh, here's why we've been left out of the conversation. I want to come back to this in just a moment because you, what you've yeah. done is widen the aperture of the conversation. Um, and that's great. But I, I, I sort of want to stick with Wonka just for a moment because it is, <laughs> it is, the, it is the opportunity that is kind of giving right. us to, to talk about this whole thing. What must be slightly frustrating in terms of the framing of this conversation is the, you end up hearing someone like Hugh Grant um, talk about this role. He's been interviewed in the Daily Mail, um, and, and he was very critical of the process of just even being cast in this role. I'm going to read you a quote. The quote is, he said, I couldn't have hated the whole thing more. Frankly, what I did with my body was terrible, and it's all been replaced with an animator. The dance sequence should be fun, but that was done by the animator. It's very confusing. With CGI now, you can't tell what's going on. What do you make of the fact that even Hugh Grant, who just did this movie, and he's already like, no, I, sh I shouldn't have done this. This shouldn't have been for me. What do you make of that? Well, uh, this just tells me that this is why authentic representation is important. Hmm. You know, if you, look, if you look at the model, you know, from discussions I've had with, you know, fellow leaders in the disability community, as well as the little people community, yeah. you know, some of the folks that I know that are in this industry – um, who work in this industry as actors, as producers, uh, we discuss the look. And the look is very reminiscent of the original Oompa Loompa, perhaps even smaller, but yeah. the body structure looks very much like those of the ones from the 60s. And, and that particular group of people back then, from my recollection and from my perception and from many other people uh, with dwarfism who look, those were all uh, people with dwarfism who had achondroplasia. And so the model for the body became essentially someone with achondroplasia. Yeah. That's the way it looks to each of us that has looked at Hugh Grant's CGI version. Mm. And I can understand why he's disappointed because, you know, at the end of the day, he didn't have a say, a final say in his actual performance. And so his representation might not be something he wanted to do. And this is where authentic representation comes in because a, a little person might say, well, I don't want it to look like that. I don't want it. To, I don't want my dancing to look quite like that because mm. it feels it feels humiliating it feels degrading um so that's why this idea of casting an average sized person with a person with dwarfism and then letting them be essentially a character who is modeled after someone with dwarfism is is detrimental to the the imagery uh, around people with dwarfism and then this takes me back to you know I've been having this conversation for 24 years, 25 years. I started this conversation in 1999 when a breakdown for Lord of the Rings came out. Mm. And the original breakdown, so a breakdown is these are the roles, here's who we're looking for, right? That comes out in what's called breakdown services. So when those roles came out, at the top of the casting area, it said no little people. So they specifically were exclusionary. They didn't want to see little people for these roles, period. And the roles were like, we're talking about hobbits, right? We, and the, the hobbits, and they, yeah. And the hobbits, the dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> the dwarf. The dwarf, the, the little dwarves in Lord of the Rings, yes. Yes, the hobbits, the dwarfs, they did not want to see little people. They wanted to see people of a specific height between here and here because that's how the director perceived the, the thing. But huh. what I read was no little people, okay? And that, to me um, – was exclusionary. We're being replaced for work. We're being replaced for employment. We're being replaced in society effectively because mm -hmm. what we see on screen is what we want to mirror in society. You know, when I think about kids watching uh, a program, you know, the philosophy is if you can't see it, you can't be it, right? Mm -hmm. 
you know, just 12 years ago, I did Mirror Mirror and I went on CNN headline news to talk about this very thing. So Mirror Mirror was on one side of the spectrum and Snow White and the Huntsman was on the other side of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Two Snow White stories, one with seven little people authentically cast and one with seven average size actors inauthentically cast as the dwarves. Yeah. So, uh, and that's when I got like, you know, things like, hey, shut up, Mickey, that kind of a thing. Um, and I don't care about that. Um, You're referring to Mickey, the character that you played in Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I, what, I was going to say, like, when you were auditioning for Seinfeld, you spoke up then too when you were, yeah. right, when you were sort of running through the scene. And I, we're going to play a bit of a clip from that scene, but just a heads up, there's some offensive language towards the end of the clip, and then we're going to talk about that right afterwards. Well, how's work going, you guys? Let's not even talk about it. <laughs> you got a job? Yeah, Mickey, he hooked me up. We're stand-ins for the actors on All My Children. But I got a big problem. The kid I stand in for, he's growing. He was four feet last month. Now he's like four, two and a half. He shot up two and a half inches. I could do four, two. Four, three's a stretch. <laughs> Any higher than that, I'm gonna be out of my ass doing that paralegal crap. How do you stop a kid from growing? I told you, you should offer him some cigarettes. <laughs> what about lifts? Out of the question. Can't you just switch with another midget? <laughs> it's little people. You got that? Uh, first of all, the offer him some cigarettes line, great line. But also, Danny, you see that word in a script. You're auditioning for this role. Take me into that room with Jerry Seinfeld with Larry David. Yeah. What do you yeah. What do you say to them? What do you say to them about that script? So this is my third callback, probably. And all along the process, I brought it up. You know, hey, this word is offensive, and I'd like a another option here somehow. So I I took a chance and I improvised like a little quick speech about the the dehumanizing word hmm. um and you know i could see their faces drop <laughs> and they're like uh yeah you know that's great but we can't say all of that and then i explained to them look the, this word this m word is highly offensive to little people hmm. and they just didn't know i mean this is 1993 yeah. and they just didn't know and for our community for even in 1993 for the world to still not know that it's offensive yeah was was difficult um, and, uh, cause it was offensive to me in 1973, mm. right? So, uh, and, and I know Billy Barty had made, made a number of, of, uh, had a number of beats where he brought it up in shows that he was on. I know he did a, a love boat episode where he talked about the word little people. And I don't know if they use the M word, but he said little people, mm -hmm. uh, and he sort of, he sort of moved that into the pantheon of, of our language. Right. And um, so I said to them, you know, this is offensive. I need an alternative here. And they said, look, we're, we're never going to do a very special episode of Seinfeld. So we need to come up with a way to deliver this message without the grandstanding. And that's when sort of we developed this beat of Mickey's volatility. You see him like, yeah, like tense up, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so we did the the quick reaction and the slow burn. And then I go over and I say, it's little people. You got that? And it looks like Mickey's about to rip off George's head. And, <laughs> and, and so you get a sense of, okay, this is offensive. And Jerry's reaction is like, like, uh-oh. And Kramer's reaction is easy, Mickey, easy. Yeah. And that improvised line from Michael Richards where he says, easy, Mickey, this is the improvised line, built the foundation for who Mickey is from there on out. Right. So I, I'm convinced that changing that scene in that sense and not just letting that drop, not just letting that hang in the air, 
created the character of Mickey and was allowed me to keep coming back because they're like, oh, this guy, he's a hothead and we can use this. And it's funny to see him and Michael go at it all the time. And he's always ready to come to blows. Uh, and that was all sort of born out of the discussion around that word. I love that story. I love that story because it what it ends up doing is imbuing every other character with how they should react to that word, right? It's not right, right. It's, it's not like the script changed. It's that everybody else's reaction to the script changed, and in and, and right. doing so, it sort of just like builds out just like a little bit more of an emotionally involved universe around it, right? Right, and and even after that, even after that, Pipter, twenty four million people watched that episode on a Thursday night. Yeah, people still in this industry still did not consider the word offensive, even mm. after I said it's offensive, they yeah. still didn't consider this. So I would, you know, scour through scripts all the time and I'd see the word and I'd say, you can't say that. Right. You can't say it. I would say you can't say it and let it hang without me having a reaction to it, uh, especially if I'm in the room. You know, what you're making me reconsider is that like we just use that word in a clip um, and you're making me consider whether we should have done that. Hopefully, hopefully they'll never edit that out because I think it's more important to deliver the message. Huh. And that's, you know, John Mulaney has a, has a bit about um, that word mm. and how it's not offensive. I know and, the bit you're talking about because someone, some executive says to the, says to him, you can say this word, but not this other word. They were telling him you can't say the M word. Yeah, that's right. Because it's yeah, because it's offensive. Yeah. Um. And and he said no, it's not. Uh. And here's why. And my theory is, yeah, I guess it's not offensive because most little people aren't going to beat the shit out of you mm. when you use it. Mm. Right. So there's the there lies the difference. The consequences are different. Yeah, the consequences are different. Excuse my language. Yeah. The consequences are different. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, but I rest assured if I see John Mulaney, <laughs> just watch, watch out. Okay. Try using it again. All right? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, listen, I hope that John Mulaney is not still I, using the, the word. I still have, I still have a nice chunk of Mickey in me. <laughs> I'm Aaron Madison III. And I'm Louis Fertel. This year, we're excited to bring you new episodes of Keep It covering the holy trinity of award season, Emmys, Grammys, and the granddaddy of them all, the Oscars. It's like the Super Bowl for Hollywood, but with more sequins and fewer concussions. And we are continually blessed by iconic guests like Michelle Yeoh, Tori Kelly, Andy Cohen, and Jinx Masoon. New episodes of Keep It drop every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts, or subscribe to Keep It on YouTube for access to full episodes and other exclusive content. Uh, listen, you've been uh, you've been talking about how important it is to be cast as characters who aren't mythical creatures and characters for whom size isn't a part of the story. Have we seen any evolution when it comes to that at all? Yeah, I think you know the the paradigm is shifting. I, I have played so many different roles in my life that I never like people would have said you'll never get these kind of roles. I mean, I've been the head of a state department. I've been a father of the bride. I've been a murderer. I've been a convict. I have been. Um, uh, most recently, I was a judge on mm -hmm. uh, an episode of Billions uh, yeah. just last month. So I, I, I've been lucky enough to play such a wide variety of roles that have nothing to do with my stature or my dwarfism. Sure. And it was funny because I've been so – I'm 33 years in this business, and I've been so um, conditioned to go, when are they going to do the reveal, right? <laughs> so there's always like, you know – 
Woodburn's character comes knocking on the door. The door opens. The camera's up here, and it goes woo and tilt down. And oh, there he is! You know, yeah. there's been so many of those kinds of reveals sure. in my career that I kept thinking, well, here I am as a judge sitting at the bench. Like, when are they going to do the reveal? Am I? Is it going to be when I get up and walk away, or like when is the reveal going to come? Much to my surprise and happiness, there was no reveal. It's not played for I, jokes. It's not. It's played. not played. It's not, well. It's not played for jokes, but it's also not played for shock value. Yeah. It's not played for. Huh? Wow. He's a little guy and he's the judge. It's not played for that. It's yeah. just I'm there. I exist. And that's like the quintessential point of movement that we want to get to. And I wanted to go back to, you know, this idea of Hugh Grant. I get it. He's Hugh Grant. He's a major star. How many, you know, A-listers are out there with disability? I mean, there's a handful, right? Mm-hmm. There's a handful of Academy Award winners. Um, and so I, I, get, I just wanted to finish the thought. I get yeah, it yeah. where Hugh Grant, you know, is going to take this role, right? I get it where Brian Cranston is going to take the role of a person who's quadriplegic, right? I get that. That's going to happen because these are marquee names. These are A-list characters. These are the people at the top. Um, But at the same time, this is one of the reasons I created what's called what I call the Woodburn Ratio, and I'm introducing it to studios. I work with a lot of studios. So Mm. the Woodburn Ratio is when someone in power takes a role from an, an actor who has disability, they have to give three back. So for every one Mm. you take away, as a, a non-disabled performer playing a disabled role, you need to give back three speaking roles to the disabled community on mm. screen. So that's that's uh, that's my invention. And that actually came out of me sitting down with Brian Cranston and explaining to him why he's getting the part, why there's no A-lister with disability, yeah. and 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 why, you know, why it's important for him to understand the disparity between his career and somebody with disabilities career. Uh, listen, Danny, I want to close on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory again, but I want to talk about, you know, the fact that when the book was first made into a movie back in 1971, that's the one with Gene Wilder. And then again in 2005, when Tim Burton adapted it, the Oompa Loompas were played by actors with dwarfism. When you look at those portrayals now, how do you think they hold up today? I, you know, the Oompa Loompas in that first movie, I never saw, I never like looked at that and went, that's me. You know what I mean? Like mm. I, they were, you know, they were green and orange. You know what I mean? Sure. They, they they were otherworldly in a lot of regards. I knew they were people with dwarfism. Um, uh, one thing I think too, to consider is the fact that they're all men. Right. And so that's also like, okay, why are there no women? Oompa Loompas? I don't know. Right. Um, so that's, that's another thing to consider. And then deep Roy who played uh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> In the in the later remake, I thought, well, oh, that kind of sucks because here's an opportunity to give a lot of people, a lot of little people, a chance to to portray these roles. Right. Um, so when I look at the old Oompa Loompas, I said, yeah, there's there's a few places where they missed the mark, but I never felt like as a kid watching it, or even today, well, that's offensive, hmm. right? I never felt that way, um, and I can feel that way when I think of the fact that they've replaced little people with an average sized person, mm-hmm. right? Well, I was going to say, if you're giving them advice, if you're giving them the people who made Wonka advice, you know, you're thinking about all the kids who are watching this movie, kids who aren't average sized who are watching this movie, uh, what should they have done with the role of the Oompa Loompa in this new Wonka movie? Hindsight is twenty twenty. I sure. guess. I mean, I, the director, you know, when he said, when I thought of a Loompa Loompa, I immediately thought of Hugh Grant. And I'm like, 
really? <laughs> That's who you thought of right out of the gate? Like you didn't think of any other person at all who, you know, could represent the Oompa Loompa, but you immediately thought, oh, Hugh Grant, that's that's a fantastic choice right out of the gate. <laughs> I'm like, come on, come on, buddy. Are you that closed off in your mind that you couldn't see that, you know, maybe I should consider something else. Hmm. Maybe I should think about this a little bit longer instead of like, once I thought of Hugh Grant, it's all over. I'm going to go right for that, you know. <laughs> I get I get you have artistic vision, but, you know, I, I think you need to broaden it if that's your artistic vision. It's just that narrow and not seeing a bigger picture on the work uh, that you're doing. I think you do a disservice uh, to the art as a whole, especially when it comes to authenticity and authentic representation. Hmm. Well, Danny Woodburn, I appreciate your time and your insight, man. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. We'll, we'll come back and we'll have another conversation about the next screw up out there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Thank you. Talk soon. You bet. Danny Woodburn is an actor and national vice chair of the Performers with Disabilities Committee for SAG-AFTRA. Danny was talking about Hugh Grant's new role as an Oompa Loompa in the new Wonka movie. That movie is out tomorrow. <laughs> That's a bit of Luliwe by South African singer Zara, and I'm playing you the song because this week we learned that Zara has died. She was just 36 years old. This is the song. This is the song that made Zahra famous. It made her famous because of how powerful it is. This is a song about a train that carried men to Johannesburg during apartheid South Africa. They were trying to find work. A lot of them did not return. Zaros talked about this song as a song about lingering hope. It's a song that resonated with a lot of people. When it came out, it was a song that ended up being played in clubs as well as karaoke. Like, it just was a very deeply resonant song. Zara was only 36 years old, but she accomplished a lot. She made a number of platinum-selling albums. Nelson Mandela invited her to his home to sing for him before he died. All week, people from South Africa and all around the world have been paying tribute to her. I want you to hear Zahra in her own words. Here she is speaking about her music, and she's talking to a radio show called The Royal Playground. Like I say, I'm a country girl, I'm a village girl. So I never prayed for me to be on TV or prayed yeah. to whatever. That was, was far-fetched for me. I am healing so many people out there. So I say amen and praise to God. That's because it. my work and my dream is being done. What you just heard there is Zahra talking about how she hopes her music brings comfort to those that need healing. Zahra died on Monday. She was just 36 years old. Listen, that is it for the podcast today. Remember, you can listen to this show anytime you like, wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Alameen Abdul Mahmoud. I'm going to be here tomorrow, and I hope to see you then. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.